During the corona period, the preacher told us that we needed to go live in the wilderness. He said the government ID cards would come and that everyone needed to be careful since the chips were evil. So the gospel started creeping into me. But my husband had already bought into the narrative of the conspiracies. It's a story we've heard quite a few times. During COVID, there was a lot of misinformation surrounding vaccines and the government tracking people. Studies have shown, you know, there is a risk to only be a Explain to me why the key sticks to me. Though the U.S. was absolutely notorious for this, thanks to former President Trump literally warning against vaccines, this rhetoric was international. And despite volunteers working to stop misinformation and slow the spread of dangerous remedies, the pandemic sparked a lot of hostility, isolation, and worrying behavior. Some of it we're only just now fully realizing the consequences of. Take the Good News International Church. Ruth Kahindi and Paul McKenzie started it together in the early 2000s, hoping to preach the word of God. But bit by bit, things started to change. As the years passed, McKenzie started to demand more loyalty. And during COVID, he started to demand the unthinkable. There was no time to continue farming. It was time to fast, pray, and eventually meet Jesus. So the message came that we needed to force the kids to start fasting. Fasting implies a short period of not eating. Have you ever heard that breakfast got its name from break and fast because it breaks the fast of not eating through the night? And when people fast for religious reasons, it may be for a day, only for the evenings or things of that nature. But Mackenzie didn't want people to fast. He wanted them to starve. I asked him how the kids would fast if there was food inside the house. He said the kids needed to fast and that they would eat once they died and met Jesus. Yeah, fasting to the point of saying they'll eat when they meet Jesus is not a typical religious fast. This is starvation. Worse than that, it's murder. Though I will say it's allegedly murder because this is still an ongoing investigation. But maybe you're hoping that this was caught in time. Surely someone had to speak up and warn authorities of what was going on. Surely someone stopped this. After months of searching, police in Kenya are still recovering bodies of members of a starvation cult who died near Malindi. Investigators have already found more than 400 victims and fear there could be many more. Many of those already recovered from the ground were children. The pastor who convinced them they would meet Jesus... Unfortunately, for hundreds of children, it's too late. This is the worst cult you may have never heard of, the Good News International Church. And today on Dark Dives, I want to break down how it started, what it became, and what may happen next. Though there aren't many sources about Pastor McKenzie and his history before becoming a cult leader, I did find some information in my research. According to one article, he was raised in a Christian household and from a young age, felt called to serve God. Eventually, he graduated from a book of scriptures college, but not before doing a handful of odd jobs, such as cab driving and working as a street vendor to get by. It's not clear if McKenzie always wanted to serve God or simply decided it might be a decent living and took a shot at it. 
different articles say different things. This one from Lamont claims that in 2003, he had a vision and informed his family he wanted to start a church. As Ruth Kahindi puts it, when she first met Paul McKenzie at the Malindi Baptist Church, she saw so much potential in him. But she was the one who had a dream that urged her to open her own church in 2003. Mackenzie had preached a bit at the Baptist church they went to, but he'd been kicked out. With nowhere else for him to go, Ruth invited him along, and together they started the House of the Lord. But wait, why exactly was he kicked out? That seems like a pretty big red flag there. According to Ruth, quote, He had read a Bible verse from the book of Ezekiel, and the relatives interpreted Mackenzie's teachings differently. They concluded that he wanted their father, the owner of the church, dead. Now, this could have been a genuine mistake on Mackenzie's part and not a warning sign whatsoever. Even so, given what Mackenzie's done in recent years, I do find it quite interesting that he was kicked out of a church for his preachings as early as 2003-ish. Anyway, as the number of people attending their church slowly expanded, so did the church itself. The congregation was truly a community, as Ruth emphasizes. It's not as if Mackenzie simply built the church all by himself and pushed people inside like some supervillain trapping his prey. All too often, it's easy to see cult leaders as these wicked madmen, and while it's true to some extent, this wasn't a dream built one day and a deadly cult the next. Instead, the whole church pitched in with building responsibilities. Ruth's daughter and son-in-law set up a cafe next door, and people from all over Melindy flocked to hear the word of God. And for a while, things seemed to be going well. At least Ruth didn't say that anything was wrong, and the church congregation was expanding and thriving. Mackenzie was even invited to Mombasa for a week, a city in Kenya, as he gained popularity outside of their town. This, Ruth claims, was a turning point. Maybe the fame went to his head, but Mackenzie started changing his sermons. Quote, he started preaching things that we did not agree with, telling the congregants not to take their children to school or go to the hospital when they were sick. I tried to talk him out of it, but unfortunately I did not succeed, Ruth explained. Another source, the Hindu, said that mobile phone money transfers were diabolical. Women specifically shouldn't get medical treatment or wear demonic wigs, and they should be content with the natural hair given to them by God. They ran a blog and even had a television program on channel 813 with about 3000 followers in total. Bit by bit, his messages became more and more extreme. They weren't just about being spiritual and staying off your phone, but completely cutting off any Western influences out of your life. Ruth, simply put, couldn't take it anymore. She describes him as being a little boy she couldn't argue with. Mackenzie had lost his wife, leading him to become even more unhinged. And perhaps with nothing more to lose, that's what caused him to break. But at the funeral, he supposedly discredited everyone except the cafe owners, Ruth's daughter and son-in-law. They were loyal to him, a fact that pained Ruth greatly. People quit their jobs. Parents stopped taking their children to school. Women were told to shave their heads and to marry within themselves. It was at this point that my daughter Mary and her husband closed their restaurant and joined Mackenzie's church leadership, she said. Ruth even lost her granddaughter to the growing cult. Mary's daughter, Elizabeth, was forced out of school. She had always wanted to be a pilot, but instead she was married off and died while heavily pregnant at 19 years old. I don't know if she wasn't allowed to get medical attention and she could have been saved. The details are not really given. But either way, to say that this was tearing families apart would have been an understatement. However, Mackenzie was on the radar of authorities and he was about to find himself in some very hot water. 
long before this cult even became truly deadly. Let's say August. The intense end time sermon started around 2010 and progressively got worse. Mackenzie may have been permitted to say whatever he wanted for years, but his words started to have some real consequences. Remember the whole pull your kids from school talk that he was spewing? Yeah, it turns out that's illegal. And in 2017, he was arrested for this, only to be arrested again in 2018 for his anti-government stance. According to CNN, he was never prosecuted for this latter offense, and it was also around this time that he started to isolate himself and his congregation from the rest of the world. That is when he said that God had told him to close his church and that he was no longer a pastor, says his former assistant pastor. The Hindu claims that at some point in 2019, he was held for disobedience of the law and the distribution of unexamined films with radicalization-like content. As different sources have different charges and arrest dates, it's not clear to me just how many times Mackenzie got in trouble with law enforcement. All in all, he was definitely on their radar and tried to escape it. And the pastor shut down the church, sold the TV channel and moved to the forest of Shakahola. He had an 800 acre ranch there where he and his congregation, which was kind of more of a cult now than ever, they could finally have their privacy. Although Mackenzie continued uploading videos to YouTube, many didn't know where he and the families following him went. That assistant pastor that I mentioned earlier said that about a thousand people, roughly 300 families lived on the land. And those close to them had absolutely no idea what had happened. One man, Francis Wanji, said that he simply couldn't believe it when he heard his daughter and her family were part of the cult. She'd only told her father that they were relocating to another part of Kenya not that they were moving to the forest. Quote, I was told something bad was happening in the forest, but I couldn't understand how she could be there, Francis said. And truthfully, that did send a bit of a shiver down my spine. Something bad was happening in the forest. It just sounds, it sounds ominous, like horror movie ominous. I couldn't believe what I would have been thinking or feeling if people simply started vanishing and following a pastor into a home in the woods. Not only is it eerie, but it is strikingly familiar. Take Jonestown, for example, that is actually one of the more well-known cults out there and one that also isolated an entire congregation, just like Good News International. An article from San Diego State University explains that the social and economic isolation was an extremely important aspect to the People's Temple, one that played a direct role in the deaths that occurred there. For one, peer pressure and emotional tactics are way more effective that way. There's no one there to help, no voice of reason, and no example of what healthy relationships should be. You can retain more members this way too because they simply have nowhere else to go. Leaders are able to trap their followers and the toxic dynamic, one of a controlling manipulator and their prey, will only grow and worsen. Plus, while I know many introverts might disagree, social isolation is anxiety inducing. I don't mean that it's going to large parties and meeting new people, it's always a positive and wonderful experience, but there is a human need to have relationships of some kind. When you have fewer interactions with people and fewer sources of support around you, you'll suffer both biologically and psychologically. Studies show it's even linked to an increased mortality rate. In this way, Good News International was unsafe and represented many signs of a classic cult. 
They had a leader that was considered absolute and infallible. They were cut off from the outside world and anyone that wasn't a part of their church was considered dangerous. Not to mention the public mentioned not knowing where their family members were or how their loved ones lied about moving when they just joined a community in the middle of the woods. I don't know if Mackenzie encouraged this, but if he didn't downright tell them to lie about their whereabouts, it's still pretty messed up that the congregation felt the need to do so. If they had nothing to hide and nothing to be ashamed of, why not share that information? Were they hoping not to be found? Were they concerned about what family members would be told or convinced to keep their mouths shut? No matter what the case may be here, it's pretty concerning the hold that Mackenzie had on his people. But this was unfortunately only the start. They believed they would meet God. They ended up in a shallow grave outside a coastal town in eastern Kenya, victims of a suspected cult leader. Mackenzie said that his followers effectively needed to give up on this world and join Jesus, but they wouldn't do it by poisoning themselves or taking their own lives with weapons or something of that nature. Instead, he ordered that everyone begin fasting. And to make it clear, I don't really mean fasting in any traditional sense of the word. Right, because fasting implies, you know, not eating for a short period of time, maybe for religious or health reasons. If you fast for a night or an entire day, you do eventually break that fast as we discussed earlier. What he was actually suggesting was starvation disguised as a religious fast, and Mackenzie wanted the children to do it first. The court affidavit on this case reads, quote, He stated that fasting would start with the children until the last child died, then followed by the youth, then women, and lastly men, and then he would be the last to die and ascend to heaven. I can't understate how horrific this is. Hundreds and hundreds of children died this way. And there may have been even more deaths if it wasn't because of an activist tip-off that led people to start investigating. As of writing this, 613 people have been reported missing and 403 bodies have been exhumed from mass graves on the property. And about 253 of those bodies had undergone DNA matching by now. The sight of the graves themselves is quite chilling, seeing how the land had truly been overturned for the purpose of burying children. So many families truly believed Mackenzie was their ticket to salvation, enough so that they were willing to stake their children's lives on it. According to investigators, while many bodies showed signs of extreme starvation, some were smothered and a few showed signs of blunt force trauma. Francis Wanji, who we spoke about earlier, his daughter told him that they were just moving to another part of Kenya, had learned that his daughter had smothered two of her children. His oldest grandchild was found deeply malnourished, but alive in the forest. Wanji said, quote, "'It's so painful, I could not even explain it because it's something that I didn't even think of in my life. And I wonder how my child, my daughter, could change to be such an animal to kill her own children just because she wanted to go see Jesus." More and more people were rescued, starving inside the ranches scattered throughout the property, while some of the dead weren't even buried at all, but simply left exposed in the open air. I can't even begin to imagine what that must've looked like and what the cult members must've endured while staying there. Now, as more and more bodies are uncovered, some family members have no choice but to wait patiently to hear of what happened to their loved ones. If they are alive somewhere on the ranch or among the bodies that have not been DNA tested yet, the fear is real. One man, Rogers Shibutsi, explained to CNN what that waiting felt like. He said that his mother, Pamela, would regularly tune into Mackenzie's preaching on his TV channel. 
In time, Pamela believed that Mackenzie could heal her eldest daughter's illness, and she became determined to meet him. Four years later, she sold all of her family's belongings and joined Mackenzie in Melindy in the Shikola Forest. Rogers said, quote, I tried to convince her to tell me where the place was, but she hung up the phone and the line couldn't be reached anymore. Rogers has been traumatized, not having answers, and seeing the state of the bodies coming out of the forest. Some followers were barely alive and still refused water, keeping their mouths closed, believing that they needed to starve to meet Jesus. It's been called brainwashing to the highest extent, and even those that are rescued may pass away shortly afterwards because of their condition. Given the time that's passed, Rogers had no choice but to accept that he may never see his mother again. I think it's incredibly important to tell this story because all too often we may assume that the people getting trapped in cults like this don't have anyone who cares about them or anyone that can stop them. And the reality is, is nothing could be further from the truth here. Pamela joined Mackenzie because she cared deeply for her family and wanted to help her daughter. Then her eldest son begged his mom to tell him where she was and has been desperate for answers ever since. And this is part of the disturbing powers that cults have over people. They can tear apart families, take a mother from her children, and even convince parents that starving or smothering their children will bring them closer to God. To be clear, I'm not excusing the latter. If a parent took their child's life because they had been brainwashed, they still need to be held accountable for their actions. But understanding how this happens and the toxic effect Mackenzie had on people is an important element of that. For a time, this hypothetical took a horrifying turn. DW says investigators have found evidence of organ harvesting as exhumed victims have literally been missing body parts. It is, quote, believed that trade on human body organs has been well-coordinated involving several players, Chief Inspector Martin Munane has said. Plus, large cash transactions that were thought to be from Mackenzie's followers selling their houses have now been linked to Ezekiel Ordero, a high-profile televangelist. However, another article says that organ harvesting was ruled out, though the reasoning was not given. Ezekiel Odero has been arrested in connection with a trafficking case, so it doesn't seem impossible that Mackenzie may have had involvement. There's just unfortunately not enough information to say what happened with 100% certainty. Hopefully we will have those answers soon and know a little bit more about Mackenzie's motives as the case continues. Unfortunately, getting answers may not be so easy. The news of a church encouraging its believers to starve to death so as to meet their maker has left many tongues working. To most people, the big question is how a stranger can convince one to abandon their wealth or family. Or About 30 people, including Pastor Mackenzie himself, were taken into custody surrounding the deaths at Good News International. Now, when it comes to cults, you often won't see the leaders subjecting themselves to the same things that they make their followers do. Mackenzie has claimed that he never saw anyone starving, yet even the leaders of the church were taking part in this fasting. Take Joseph Buyuka, for example. He may have had involvement in the deaths and illegal disposal of bodies, but before he could truly be held accountable for his actions, he passed away at a hospital in Malindi, shortly after being taken to prison. Two other suspects are also ill, likely related to this fasting. And frankly, I just don't have sympathy for anyone who stands by when children are told to starve themselves to death. I don't really care if they're ill or suffering. The only reason I find this upsetting is because it means that we might have difficulty in the future finding out the whole truth of what happened. This death toll has continued to climb and climb over the past few months. And as it does, more information has been released. 
But so long as leaders continue to die, there will always be holes in this story. Unfortunately, at the moment, just handling this case has been difficult. About 65 followers who were rescued were charged with attempted suicide when they refused to eat, a decision that has been largely condemned. Quote, the Kenya National Commission on Human Rights said the move was inappropriate and will traumatize their survivors at a time when they most desperately require empathy. At the same time, I can understand why authorities on the matter would be so conflicted. Like what exactly should happen to these parents? Yes, they were brainwashed and traumatized, but some of them also killed their own children. How much empathy should be shown? It's a tragedy and these parents and adults need to be treated. They do need help, but they also need consequences for the horrific acts they committed. I am slightly curious as to how you feel about this. Please feel free to let me know because I truthfully, I just don't think I've ever encountered such a specific situation before. With Jonestown and other cults that force members to take their own lives, it tends to happen all at once, just everyone at the same time. While the process of recruiting someone and brainwashing can be slow, the actual death typically isn't. There's really no easy way of handling this. That's all I can say with certainty. I do hope that Pastor Mackenzie dies in prison, suffers somehow, just lives a miserable rest of his mortal life. At least that's how I feel about it. But while prison is an obvious consequence, there has been a ripple effect from this. See, religion is huge in Kenya. Only less than 3% of Kenyans are not religious whatsoever. And though I won't go on and on about the history of missionaries in the country, the important piece is that church is a way of life for so many there. But with so many churches becoming cults and diverging beliefs and all of that, an issue in Kenya now is dealing with what kinds of religions are real religions versus which ones are just cults in the making. And apparently this has been an issue for quite some time now. In 2019, the Directorate of Criminal Investigations in Kenya said they were investigating a cult linked to the murder of a priest. And as early as 2014, one bishop warned that cult behaviors were on the rise in the country. Seeing as religion is so huge and important to people there, it's not surprising that malicious groups are going to disguise their intentions with the church of God. Even so, it's still very upsetting to see something so spiritual and so important used as a weapon. In part because of this case, action is actually finally being taken. Kenya's communications authorities have announced that they've suspected two stations linked to Odero and Mackenzie for quote, airing inappropriate content on exorcism, and now there is greater pressure for regulation around Kenyan megachurches and their preachers. Maybe until now, you believe that televangelists were more of kind of like a US exclusive thing. And it's pretty true for the most part. They are a dime a dozen here. We've got Joel Osteen, Jim Baker, Kenneth Copeland, Billy Graham, Pat Robertson, and a whole bunch of other rich white men having littered the airways to preach the prosperity gospel. But Kenya is in a similar situation too, and lights don't really get shined a lot on them. They are one of Kenya's most influential interests. Now, this doesn't mean that every single preacher in Kenya is involved with politics or performs miracles, but it's not uncommon either. We've known for a while that here in the US, we need more regulation around megachurches and we need more people watching them carefully. Clearly, this is an issue in other countries too, even if we haven't realized that until now. This sort of prosperity gospel, you know, the whole idea that you're giving your money and salaries up to God, it exists worldwide. The stopped rolling when Pastor Neno asked his congregation to give money on four separate occasions, one of which was to help him buy a new car. They obliged generously every time. 
I do think though that Kenya is actually on the right track by removing dangerous people from the airways, potentially keeping other pastors like Mackenzie from gathering such a large following. However, given how important religion is to so many people around the globe, these changes can't really happen soon enough. Bad faith actors are everywhere. And I'd hate for people to become victimized purely because they wanted to follow God, let alone children that truly don't know any better. Please, no matter who you are, just be wary of televangelists or leaders that make promises, preach about the end times and demand loyalty instead of earning it. Far too many people join cults, even if it's for all the right reasons. But with all of that being said, that's where we're going to end today's episode of Dark Dives. I hope you learned something new here today on this ongoing situation. I know there will be updates about this. I just don't really want to look into it farther. It's so dark. I know I will look into it eventually, but it is such a devastatingly sad situation coming out of Kenya. So with all of that being said, thank you for joining me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.